AWE are proud distributors of Sony televisions and home cinema projectors, bringing you the best content from lens to living room. For more information, visit awe-europe.com. Hello, everybody, and welcome to The Integrated Home, the podcast that's produced by the home integration community for the home integration community. My name is Jeff Hayward, and today we're going to look at what integration businesses can do to become more sustainable. The twin crises of climate breakdown and biodiversity loss are the most serious issues of our time. So what can or should home technology companies be doing to be more sustainable? And what can they do to help address the climate emergency? This talk was produced by Cedia and first broadcast as a webinar as part of ISE Digital 2021. Our thanks to both Cedia and ISE Digital for their support. DBM delivers experiences that go beyond the ordinary and suspend reality. From powerful loud speakers and state-of-the-art projection systems to acoustic treatment and screens, DBM partners with pioneering brands including Barco Residential, Complete Acoustic Treatment Systems, Display Technologies, Waterfall Audio and Meridian Audio to give you the very best high-performance products for your home cinema projects. Like you, we're committed to achieving excellence. Visit distributedbym.com to find out more. And I'm joined today to discuss this topic by an expert panel. So let's meet them. Alex, you first, tell us who you are and tell us a bit about your organization. Yeah, thanks, Jeff. Uh, so I'm Alex Crossing, um, a director at Seven Integration. Uh, we are a systems integrator based in the heart of Sussex and South Downs, uh, CD member of Excellence and uh, quite a keen uh, environmentalist. Very good. Okay, Taz, follow that. Hi, everyone. Thanks, Jeff. Uh, my name is Taz Kiriaku. I'm the co-director of IDS and we specialise in uh, smart home technology systems for the prime and super prime residential market. Uh, we're based in London uh, and that's our, our primary focus. Um, keen to uh, kickstart the conversation about sustainability a bit more within, uh, within our industry. So we've got two integrators there to tell us what they're doing about uh, sustainability. And we've also got somebody from outside of our industry, April. Tell us a bit about yourself and, and what Investors in the Environment is all about. Sure. Um, I'm April Sotomayoris. I'm the national lead for UK accreditation uh, Investors in the Environment. Uh, our main office is based in Peterborough. We've got a site in um, Durham and one near Lancaster. So we support organizations on reducing their environmental impact, uh, demonstrating CSR, corporate social responsibility, essentially also connecting uh, to local communities and demonstrating social impact. Very good. We'll hear more from you shortly. Chris, we've also got a brand here and you're from Faraday. So tell us a bit about you and Faraday. Yeah, so um, I'm Chris, um, Managing Director and Founder of Faraday. Um, Faraday is a smart home accessories brand. Um, we manufacture 
um, accessories such as motion sensors and keypads um, that can be used with a whole variety of different um, control systems. Uh, and we're based in the UK. We manufacture all the products in the UK, um, but we export all over the world. So we export to 40 countries in, in total um, across the world. Um, and really keen to join this discussion from a manufacturer's perspective. Um, to kind of give that insight and what manufacturers can start to do to consider the way in which they go about their business um, when it comes to sustainability. Um, and I think I'm particularly passionate about sustainability um, with smart buildings because I suppose it's to some extent it's at the core of what we do, um, you know, especially on our, our motion sensor products. Um, they're typically used to control you know, lighting in the property, which is obviously a classic kind of way which you'd use a motion sensor. Um, but what I'd like to try to do is raise awareness as well of other ways you can use motion sensors in your property to kind of reduce, um, you know, your heating bill. So not heating unoccupied rooms, uh, turning off AV um, in like expensive cinemas um, and uh, really just yeah, raise that awareness of other things you can do um, with our products, but then also other things that integrators can do to make their businesses more sustainable. So looking forward to the discussion. Well, there's undeniably a role for technology in delivering those energy saving benefits in the home. I think that's probably a separate discussion, one that we're going to park for today and probably come back to. I'm sure Celia will be addressing that in the future. Um, but for this discussion, what we're going to do is we're going to focus on what businesses in our industry can actually do themselves. So so what are the steps that can be taken by integration and manufacturing businesses in our sector? And um, Alex, I think one of the areas that we've talked about in the past and that I know you're passionate about is packaging. Tell us about that. <laughs> yeah, Jeff, do you know, if I'm wanting, it came from uh, just the frustration in getting rid of the polystyrene that uh, the engineers are bringing back from projects all the time because it's just so bulky, it'd fill one of our big industrial bins, you know, every time they came back. And it costs a lot of money to get it taken away. So that kind of got me looking into what I could do, you know, was there ways of recycling it, what to do with all this polystyrene. Um, and there's really not a lot you can do with it. And, and so I got looking at alternatives and things like that. And that's what really kind of started this whole journey. So it was a slightly selfish uh, reason for, for looking at packaging in particular. Um, polystyrene is an awful, really awful product. Um, and most of our TVs uh, are protected by them, are packed with them. Uh, I think it was 214 million TVs were shipped last year. Nearly all of those would have been packed in polystyrene. Um, there was a Cleveland State University study that shows that polystyrene is expected to take about a million years to degrade so it's going to be here forever and when you're producing something like 15.6 million tons of polystyrene every year globally that's a lot of polystyrene that's sitting around on our beaches in the stomachs of whales and all of these things so um yeah it's, it's a bit of a bit of a bugbear of mine um, it's really bad for the environment. It's really bad for wildlife. It's bad for the people that are producing it. Um, it's thought that it's the carcinogenic. Um, it causes problems with respiratory systems. Um, New York has banned it 
because it's so bad. Um, and there are alternatives that can be used. Um, the problem with recycling really is that it's, it's so bulky to transport to any specialist recycling um, plants that no one will do it because you fill up a container uh, with polystyrene really quickly um, and it's not a very economical thing to transport to wherever they recycle these things. So, yeah, so it's not a very good product to use, uh, but it is light and it does protect. Um, but there are alternatives. I, I just think the industry needs to start looking at those alternatives and perhaps take the hit on some of the transport costs that, that's going to happen. No, good points, all of those. Um, Taz, what, what's your take on packaging in our industry? I very much echo what um, you know, Alex is saying. Um, packaging is a, is a major issue um, in the industry. Um, I started to notice it far more. Uh, I don't spend a lot of time on site. I'm mainly office-based, but um, you know, when our team were you know, building racks in the offices and just to see the, the volume of, uh, of plastic that was just building up in the office, every single day it was just it was it was unbelievable and um and it and it's i started to really uh look into it a, a lot further about about a year ago um and i started even looking you know on you know on the cedia websites and uh, and the white papers to see if there was any kind of information on that and it, it was it was fairly limited if i'm honest um uh, and uh, i think uh the, the other the other issue for, for me at least is with the, with decommissioning systems so uh you know there are instances where we are um taking out old equipment to replace it and some of this equipment could be reused it could be you know sold on or passed on in, in some way and it can be refurbished um and reused uh some of the time it needs to get thrown away and you know you have you know, either get thrown into a skip and they go to God knows where, some landfill. Um, I think it's just important for us to uh, collaborate and uh, with with manufacturers to see if there's any way we can uh, there can be uh, some kind of give back policy or buyback policy, and some of the components can be can be uh, you know uh, refurbished and reused um, and installed in other uh, in, in 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 other devices. Um, the, the, I read an article the other day, the UN, I think, predicts um, this year alone, we're going to create about 52 million metric tons of e-waste. Now, that's one of the fastest growing streams of waste. And there's, you know, a bunch of smart devices that contain, uh, you know, precious resources that can be recycled. So um, it's, it's just really important, I think, for, for us to, to really highlight this, this issue um, and, and start doing something about it, really. Mm. No, absolutely. So let's take packaging first, Chris. What's your, what's your uh, view on why manufacturers put so much packaging around some of the products in our industry? Is it necessary? Yes, I think, I mean, one of the unique things I think about our industry is most of the products that the installers are installing are quite high value items. You know, if you're, you know, you're looking at any of the equipment that goes into the racks, um, any of the, you know, the AV speakers, uh, TVs, you know, these are quite expensive items. Um, so, you know, as a manufacturer, you obviously want to ensure that your product's going to get delivered and is not going to be um, damaged. And, you know, we know that couriers don't exactly handle everything with the utmost 
care. So I suppose from a manufacturer's perspective, we need to make sure that our product is protected, but kind of just to the right level, um, you know, making sure that, you know, even if, you know, and also thinking about the individual products compared to cartons of products. So, um, you know, one thing that we, for example, do um, is our individual um, products, and I've got one of our motion sensor boxes here, um, they're just single skinned card. So they're super, super um, thin, fully recyclable card. We're not using cardboard, but actually card. Um, and then we make sure that when that product goes out to the customer, it goes in a double skinned cardboard box. So, you know, we're not sending, you know, to take that TV example, Alex, um, you know, quite often with these jobs, you're going to need 10, you know, 20 screens, but all the screens are individually packaged. So, you know, would it make sense to have a bit of big block of polystyrene, for example, but have, you know, 10 slots in there so they can deliver you 10 screens all at once? Do they really need to be individually wrapped at the point they're shipped? So I think that's something to think about. And then one of my other really kind of uh, things I'd like to emphasize really is the difference between um, basically reducing the volume of the packages because, you know, if we reduce the volume of the package package itself, we're reducing the amount of, for example, polystyrene that we need to protect what's inside it. Um, but we're also reducing the amount of space that's required on cargo aircraft and um, shipping containers moving around the world. So, you know, we don't need to just think about the, the environmental impact of the packaging itself, but we also need to think about the whole life cycle of that product, that product and where is it manufactured and shipped. And, you know, if, if I look at my supply chain globally, um, you know, there's a, there's a lot of logistics moving everything around. Um, so one of the things we've done actually in, in our um, motion system, I'm just trying to get one out of the box now, is we've actually just developed, um, you know, we used to just put the sensor in the box, okay? And occasionally that was getting slightly damaged. Um, so we kind of needed to do something. But instead of using polystyrene, we actually hired a, um, a cardboard, um, basically cardboard expert, who's basically an origami expert, pretty much. And they developed this kind of little contraption here that kind of folds in about a million different ways but basically provides a really sturdy insert inside the box to hold the sensor. Um, and again, is, is fully recyclable um, and allows us to keep a very, very small box, um, but keep the product protected. So I think from my perspective, when it comes to packaging, it's, it's all about reducing the size of the, of the boxes um, and, and making sure everything and, and being clever with how you use recyclable materials um, and hiring origami experts to help you. <laughs> How does that sound to you, April? I mean, a lot of businesses must struggle with the packaging of the products that they're, they're being asked to fit or install, just like in our industry. But, but things are changing on packaging, aren't they? Yeah, there's a lot of changing around packaging. I mean, a couple of years ago, there were four different packaging and waste consultations uh, the UK government carried out. Excuse me, my voice is, <clears throat> is going and I've, I've got a bit of a cough, but um, really significant attention is on this issue right now as a result of uh, you know, consumer awareness, especially. Um, but packaging is, is just one element. So there's sort of kind of three critical areas that you can look at around you know, your environmental impact. And, and packaging is sort of something that maybe best practice needs to be developed on in collaboration or in um, 
with respect to what's happening around the producer responsibility regulations where more manufacturers are going to have to shoulder a lot more financial burden for what happens to that waste. So through packaging recovery notes and, and others that you might be familiar with. But there's also looking at you know, the business itself and how they manage that as an organization, whether it's a small business or a larger one. Um, and then the influence that, that the organizations have as well as to what happens to that packaging in, in households or um, you know, in, in, in other partnerships or other, other businesses that you might be working with. There needs to be a bit of collaboration. So internally, what you can do as an organization yourself, best practice across industry, and then what happens once products um, are out there um, with, with consumers. And to Taz's point about upcycling products or, or taking products out, many of which in our industry, they're absolutely fine and working. They're just a bit old. Well, there is the WE directive in terms of waste, which I know a lot of brands, uh, you, know, you probably, Chris, you have to comply with that. Yeah, as well. it's, it's, it's a legal requirement, yeah. Um, but but is, is it viable to have some sort of recycling of product scheme going on, do you think? April, what do you think? Uh, there's a whole life cycle assessment. I think that is a really important part of, of this conversation, you know, trying to re, you know, design waste out of the process um, and move from a take, make and dispose um, economic system into a circular economy where resources are kept in use for as long as possible. Um, so there's a lot happening around, you know, refitting, um, electronics, for example, and, and upgrading them and putting in new components into the sort of the same, <clears throat> into the same, um, uh, lack of it. Yeah, plastic, <laughs> same mold. Yeah. Same yeah. mold. Thank you. Thank yeah. you. But upgrading it so the technology improves whilst you're not, you know, producing so much waste. So um, one of the things that organizations can look at are some resources that are readily available through a not-for-profit called the Ellen MacArthur Foundation that has a whole host of resources for manufacturers to help transition to this circular economy that will have co-benefits both in terms of reducing and eliminating waste, but also um, you know, reducing costs for organizations and reducing the, uh, you know, the impact on climate change and all the energy also that comes into the manufacturer. And you take virgin materials and and raw materials and, and use that to continuously create new products that then go to waste. Um, so that's a, quite a great resource for manufacturers to look at. Okay. Um, I think one of the other areas around products that manufacturers are responsible for are instruction manuals. And um, Alex, are they really necessary today? Uh, well, do you know what, when, when, I thought about this yesterday. I thought, well, of course they're not. Um, you know, I've, I've I've just bought a motorbike and I fitted some new exhausts on it at the weekend, and I did that entirely through watching YouTube. Um, so, you know, why why do we need these huge instruction manuals in so many different languages um, to learn how to switch your TV on and get it to the right input? Um, but we're quite fortunate. In the UK, there's only, uh, I think it's about 4% of the population that haven't got the internet internet access. Um, but globally, 
it's more like 46% of, of the global population that doesn't have access to internet. So what about all those people? They can't just go onto YouTube and look at it. So my first thought was, yeah, let's just get rid of all those paper, paper instructions, those little booklets that you get and you just chuck in a drawer and, and forget they existed. But actually, um, I don't know if that is the answer yet. Um, and I don't really know what the alternative is, but certainly I would have thought there's a way of not sending me versions of in Chinese and Arabic and African yep. and all the other languages. Um, I, I don't really know what the answer is, but, but I, what seemed like a really simple answer became quite complicated as I started looking into it more. Well, I mean, oh, sorry. Uh, Taz, do you want to go on that one? I was just, I was just going to mention. I mean, in, I think good, correct. Ads, I mean, globally, you know, we can't expect people to, um, you know, go on YouTube. I think for our industry specifically, when we're dealing with, um, you know, automation products, and uh, maybe I'm ignorant in saying this, but you know, a lot of our engineering, you know, engineering team are, are trained. Um, and they know how to install the product. They know how to program it. You know, is it necessary for them to have in, for those products to have, you know, instructions? Um, and, you know, uh, if they do require any instructions, perhaps they can go online. You know, maybe they can start categorizing it by uh, continent or by country and, and reducing some of that paper. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of narrowing that down to, to our industry specifically, um, uh, but uh, I guess on a more global scale, it's, it's a little bit uh, different. So I think probably yeah. what the conclusion is, Taz, is that we just want manufacturers to think a bit more before they do. I mean, Chris, there, yeah. there are some pretty thoughtless, thoughtless things that go on out there, aren't there? Oh, no, absolutely. I, I received a... Um... Uh, we're, we're pissing out a new office at the moment. I received a uh, dimmer the other day um, and it had, I won't mention the company, but it had, uh, you know, I think it had 20 different languages in this massive, um, you know, massive instruction manual and I absolutely um, didn't need it at all. And I think, you know, we as Faraday, we, I have every single time we do a production run, we have this argument on whether we need to get rid of the instruction leaflet or not. And I'd love to throw it away. And we all have this massive debate and actually um, agree that it is kind of still required. And I think one of the reasons we, we, we come to that conclusion is that it's really, really annoying is if, if you're on site and you've got to just install a product and you don't have that key bit of information you need to install it. And let's be honest, a lot of us work on you know new builds and we might not necessarily have cellular cover on your mobile phone to be able to get your data sheet up on your phone. So what, what we're doing from that perspective is we've made the decision that every single product we ship will just come with one A4 sheet of paper that has a quick install guide. Um, so that's the key information you need to actually install the products, right? So it's the dimensions of, for us, the hole you cut in the ceiling, for example, right? Um, if it's a TV, maybe the dimensions of, the bracket on the back or, or whatever it might be but it's just those key bits of information you don't need the full-blown wiring diagrams for you know brass different control systems and you know all that extra information that can be done online um so you know having qr codes that link to that information on that quick you know single a4 sheet is really useful um and i think second to that as well and unfortunately our products are 
are so small we actually struggled to get them on the products but um, QR codes on the back of the product say for example the TV um, that link you to the correct place online where you can get those data sheets and you can get more information and and I don't think many manufacturers are really doing that at the moment you know they're just shipping it with the product um, or just shipping not a lot and then you have to go and search online for the, for the right data sheet and that can sometimes you know take a lot of time. I, so. you know, I don't think we should um, put all the responsibility on the manufacturers perhaps. Uh, I think we should also uh, as integrators perhaps we should also uh, um, prepare a bit better maybe before we're going to site um, and we're in the office uh, you know we can we can go through the relevant information that's required um, uh, and you know, and be you know up to speed as to what needs to be done on site. So therefore, so therefore you're not requiring to have all these doc, you know, all these documents yeah. or the internet on site. So maybe we need to kind of think a little bit more outside the box and, and be a bit more prepared. Um, yeah, but, sort of, but sorry, Chris, what sort of yeah. documentation gets handed over to a client? Taz, is are, do you offer reams of paperwork to describe how this system works for you, Mr. Client? Well, I actually, um, we, we, this year, we're, I mean, we're still in the process of doing it, but we're, we're going to stop giving the, uh, the clients hard copies and we're going to be uh, just uh, emailing um, all of the content to, to the client. Um, and for our engineers, once they're on site to service, they've got access to our, our cloud server so they can access all the client information. It's all protected um password protected and so on um and they can access all the information that's required any kind of service dockets for example they will all be done electronically um and then sent to our to the, to the client folder on our server so essentially nothing really needs to be no paper needs to be on site everything's done electronically um that's kind of our our process and, and to be honest i've actually tested it out um on our past sort of three about three projects um and, and I asked the client, you know, would you be happy for us to leave and to, to, for, for me to email you an electronic copy of the O&Ms and, and hand over documentation and so on? And they were quite happy with that. They, they weren't really bothered. They, they did actually, in fact, say to me, what well, I might, I may end up just losing it or get lost or be put in the loft somewhere or wherever it might be. So, you know, I think it's even worth being a little bit proactive and just asking the client, you know, do you want it? Do you want hard copies or are you happy for us to to send electronic copies. Yeah. Can I, can I just jump, so, uh, and I don't want to demonize you, Chris, but we're just, for the, just for the simple question, that leaflet that you, that you print your instructions on, is that on recycled paper? Yeah, 100%, yeah, of course. Superb. Yeah, no, no, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and, it, and it's really thin stock as well. It's the thinnest stock of paper we can buy that you can actually print right. on. Um, one, because we have to fold it quite a few times to get it in the box. Mm. Um, but also, obviously, it reduces the amount of paper that we that we use. Chris, do you pay a premium for that? Um, I do not know. <laughs> um, I'm not sure. Um, I wouldn't thought so because it's, um, you know, it's using less paper. So normally, you know, the thicker GSM a paper is, the more you'd pay for it. So I think, if anything, it probably also saves us money. So... Um, there's double plus there i suppose um there is there is one point actually on instruction leaflets actually that um is a legal thing um that you have to at some point with the with your products declare what you know technical standards your product is com compliant with um, i'm not an absolute expert on the exact packaging requirements but 
I'm pretty sure there's some legal requirement that you have to at least say, you know, that this complies with EMC standard X, Y, Z and da, da, da. So if you don't have a printed at least one sheet of paper, there's a question of where do you put that information as well? So um, which requires some creative thinking, I suppose. And in terms of just dealing with waste product, Alex, what, what do you do when you're um, going into an old installation, taking that stuff, replacing it, upgrading it? What do you do with those boxes? You know the answer, Jeff, don't you? <laughs> I go down. I go down my local PC world. I walk up to their customer services desk and I hand them a load of electronics and say these are for recycling, and they take them for me and recycle them. And uh, yeah, job done. It's all free. Any hard drives in there, they'll say, "Have these been wiped?" And you say yes or no, depending on what your answer is. And and if they're wiping, they'll do that for you for free. It's all free. I don't know why more people don't do it. I suppose just meant not everyone knows about it. But um, yeah, it's a great little service. That's a, that's a good point, isn't it, April? Those services are available if you've got product and you need it recycled. Yeah, absolutely. Um, that's one of the things that I think one of the real barriers is people aren't aware of sometimes the problem, but also that there are many, many easy low cost or free solutions out there. So what you're saying, Chris, you know, around it probably <coughs> saved you money. Um, you're thinking about resource efficiency is one of the first ports, particularly for small and medium sized organizations that might not have the wherewithal to think about, you know, the way that they do business in itself, but becoming more efficient with resources, um, whether it's waste, uh, preventing waste or handling it differently, energy, transport as well, all of that can save you money um, with a little, a little thought as to what the best approach is to managing it. Yeah. Taz, you do something quite neat as well, don't you? Well, yeah, we, um, what we've started doing and we, we've had to put it in place this year uh, was use an app-based uh, platform to collect. They can do same day collection or next day collection um and any any decommissioned systems or any um waste that we've we've uh, you know got from 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 a site um we just take a snapshot of the uh of the of the waste um it gets uploaded onto their platform they give us a price and then they come and collect i mean we, we do pay for it but um you know it's nothing nothing kind of significant where you know it, it will deter someone i think at some point we've got to start uh, you know, doing the right thing, uh, the, the right thing. It's not just about, um, you know, the financial aspect um, and it being financially beneficial. I think it's just about doing the right thing. Um, and that's what we've, that's what we've started doing uh, this year. And, you know, we, we don't, you know, we don't decommission systems every day. Anyway, you know, uh, 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 we do have regular waste, which we uh, recycle as much as we can. Um, where we can't we get we get this app-based platform that we use um and that's that's what we've you know it works quite well for us at the moment yeah taz says that it, it's not really good business profitability wise to do these things but actually april it is isn't it it's it it can be a real help for your business money wise yeah absolutely i mean something like that taz if, if, if you're doing something that might cost you a bit of money you know are you talking about it um, one of the things that if you are making that extra effort and doing that much more than your competitors, 
talking about it that gives you an edge against your competition and can increase you know the amount of business there's more people who are looking at working with businesses who are doing the right thing interesting good point good point and um it just just other benefits april what what other benefits are there for businesses in going greener aside from the the obvious one of saving the planet yeah, um, there's a whole raft of benefits I can give you. So I can give you five. Um, legal compliance, number one. So that the waste issue it is a, a legal requirement for organizations to follow what's called the waste hierarchy. So that's preventing waste in the first place, then reducing it, recycling it, and at the last, it's sort of disposing of it, whether that's going to landfill or incineration. Um, so for legal reasons, but also, as I mentioned before, there's a lot of new packaging and waste regulations that will be coming into effect. It will be, be more costly to produce a lot of packaging because that has to be dealt with. So the government is looking at organizations putting the bill for this stuff that eventually that the government's gonna have to deal with in terms of cleaning it up or uh, landfilling it or incinerating it. Um, you've got the financial drivers where you, you've got cost savings, um, you know, just saving you money in terms of, you know, whether it's energy, preventing the waste, um, your transport, we haven't even touched on, you know, managing um, journeys and, and fuel consumption. Um, but also, like I mentioned before, you know, the, the benefits that you can have from being able to, you know, um, demonstrate, you know, consumer trust, which is another another one, reputational benefits being seen and that that moral argument being seen to be doing, you know, the right thing. And then we've got, um, you know, engagement. If you've got staff, particularly younger people, um, they want to work for companies that are doing the right thing and that are taking steps to do so. Um, so what we've covered, we've covered financial, uh, legal, moral um, engagement, and that consumer trust as well and other stakeholders. So knowing that um, your reputable organization that is um, you know, taking all those boxes in a, in a changing world where people are demanding that organizations um, reduce their impact on the environment. So the, the is an interesting one. Alex and Taz, I've got your views on this as well. What, what, do you, what do you engineers get about London in or get about the Southeast in Alex? Are they, are they on? electric bikes or are they pedaling hard or are they on electric vehicles? What do you do? Taz, do you want to take that first? Um, well, <laughs> it'll be interesting if they're pedaling around London, but uh, with their tools. No, uh, they, uh, at the moment, we've actually just purchased a new van, which uh, is a hybrid. Um, we wanted to go fully electric, but the concern is at the moment is uh, the amount of um, mileage you can get without having to charge. So uh, slightly concerned if they're stuck somewhere and, and they can't charge their, their van. So uh, I think it's a good step towards something a bit, a bit greener uh, going with, with hybrid. We're, we've got a slightly older van, um, which we're hopefully going to be changing in the next uh, six to eight months. Again, going hybrid. Um, so we're, make, we, we're making that move. Um, but you know it's an investment, so uh, and it's I think it's a good investment. What about you, Alex? Are, are you running around the South Downs carrying amplifiers on your back? What are you doing? Uh, yeah, we're all driving Teslas, Jeff. <laughs> no, <laughs> um, um, 
Yeah, well, at the moment, because we're, we're um, on lease contracts, so we're coming to the end of those um, for some diesel vans, which obviously aren't ideal. Um, the all-electric option, as Taz said, doesn't really work for us because of the amount of mileage the guys are doing. Um, I can see how uh, the companies in, in the centre of London, in the congestion charge area, and that you know, electric might be the perfect option for them. But for us, I think we'll certainly be looking at um, hybrid um, as a kind of halfway house. Um, it's just really down to the, the mileage that the electric vehicles mm. are able to do and the amount of time it takes to charge them um, in between time. So, um, yeah. Uh, I think one of the things, April, on this discussion is that uh, people might feel a bit overwhelmed about the whole sustainability issue and think, well, I'm insignificant, what can I do? But those sorts of small steps, if everybody's doing those small steps, that will make a difference, won't it? You know, in the UK, there, in 2019, according to the Office of National Statistics, there were 4.2 million businesses registered and over 95%, I think it was more like 99%, were classified as SMEs. So these are organizations, typically less than 50 employees, um, probably a lot that are watching this, this session right now, that might have a carbon footprint that is you know, nominal compared to some of these huge industries and huge emitters. But when you look at millions of organizations across the UK, everybody is doing their bit and preventing, preventing emissions or reducing their emissions all of that will have a huge impact and we need to you know, deploy all of the solutions that are available to us now. So I know there's a lot of um, hesitance around investment and things of that nature, but if you can't invest, um, reduce, you know, look at fuel efficient driving techniques, look at if you're gonna buy a diesel van, look at you know, the carbon efficiency of the engine. Those are small things. There, it's not an electric vehicle, but it's something that will reduce your fuel consumption and your cost, as well as your carbon footprint. Another thing that, that um, is really good is, is because in our industry, we are able to remotely access uh, client systems and, and service them <coughs> from the desk. It really does limit the amount of mileage that we're having to do. So, so that is a really good thing for our, that our industry has kind of taken on. Agreed. It's totally, it's, so it's a, a big boost for remote monitoring to, to reduce your carbon footprint. Chris, what, what, what's your take on, on vehicles and... Uh, and getting about London and the, the rest of the country. Yeah, so um, so we don't get out much, I have to admit, Jeff. We're, uh, <laughs> we're quite based at our desk most of the time. Um, you know, pretty much, especially now in these COVID times, um, as manufacturers, we, we're not going to customer sites. Um, you know, if anything, we're, well, especially from my perspective, I'm driving between our, our, our different factories and our supply chain in, in the UK. Um, and um, we got a new company car about four months ago and we did go fully electric. Um, so, but we can because I know all the, the drives we need to do and they're all quite short. They're, you know, 50, 60 mile round trips. Um, and we've got an electric uh, car that I can, th I think it says about 120 um, miles <coughs> in a kind of round trip, 120, 130. Um, it's really quick. It's pretty fun to drive. And um, I think from a business perspective, um, you know, when I was looking at the bottom line, because, you know, in the end of the day, um, we were trying to run profitable businesses. Um, it's, it's a massive saving for us because the company car tax at the moment on electric vehicles has been scrapped. 
And, you know, I think that's a really, it's a huge incentive um, for the next, I think it's, I think it's another two years, I think, um, maybe longer, um, that that incentive exists. And um, it basically makes this car free, pretty much. I, I did the maths on it and, you know, how much money we're going to spend on, on petrol, you know, the company, the company car benefit, um, et cetera, et cetera. And, um, and it was an absolute no brainer. So, so I suppose my point there is, even if you don't, think an electric car is going to work for you just actually work out you know especially if you've got a fleet of vehicles can i just have one electric car um or van and, and the rest of them petrol or, or hybrid um because you probably actually when you actually analyze your journeys um you'll probably find that at least 30 percent of them are actually very much doable in, a, in, a, in an electric vehicle um and, and given the tax benefits of them um you know it's not going to hurt your bottom line too much so i think that's if i can probably... chime in there as well at the um yeah, for for smaller organizations as well check your local authority check your local enterprise partnership they have grants available sometimes pots of money for look for businesses to access to put and implement green technology so electric vehicle charge points or um you know infrastructure that you might need have a look and see what's available because I know in, in my region, um, we've got, you know, access to businesses have access to up to 5,000 pounds in grants for electric vehicles, for, for instance. So <clears throat> it's, it's really worth informing yourself about what's available to you locally. The government is putting uh, funding into this to help in green uh, transport in this country. Yeah. I suppose so building, building on that, sorry, just briefly, Jeff, the, um, oh, yes, go. You know, there's one thing thinking about, you know, the company cars and the company fleet, as it were, but also think about your employees cars and how they're going to get to work, because, you know, if you can make use of and, and I'm not sure what the grant situation is in the UK, I have to admit, but if there was some grants available to install electric car charging points at your office, for example, and you can incentivize your staff to drive to your main office using electric cars, then you know, you're, you're enabling your staff to, to you know, to, to reduce their carbon footprint. Um, which obviously has a net, you know, net benefit on, on, on what we're trying to achieve, right? So, Absolutely. This is very much a start point of the conversation. Um, Taz, where would you like to see it go from here? Um, well, I think uh, two key things for me at this point. Um, I, I, think we, I think our industry needs more education um, on sustainability. I think it's important that we start um, uh, implementing more processes or having more available content for people to understand uh, the damage that we're doing and how we can tackle it. Uh, and um, the second thing really collaboration, being able to collaborate more with manufacturers, understand their process. They need to also understand our process so that we can work together to mitigate this excess um, uh, waste, essentially. You're on the same page with that, Alex, I bet. Uh, yeah, pretty much. Um, the one thing that I'm quite disappointed by is, is, um, is, is the lack of any kind of voice from Cedia um, within the industry. Um, it's taken uh, a post from me a couple of years ago on our website, and I think um, there was another post on LinkedIn recently um, to kind of get this conversation going. Um, to my mind, CDU is our industry body and they're the people that have the contacts in government and the contacts with the manufacturers and they should be putting some pressure on. 
um, and and getting things to change because manufacturers, these big, you know, Panasonic, Sony, they're not going to change the packaging they put their TVs in unless there's a strong argument. And that strong argument argument has to be that their customers don't want to buy their products because of the packaging they're in. Um, yeah. And and you know that that's the bottom line. You know, we can all be as as morally acute as, as we want to be um but these big corporations they're just interested in the profit margin well all i can say alex is that uh, obviously with the backdrop behind me the yeah. senior production so that the, they are making steps so i think also i don't want to put all manufacturers in that same boat you know it's it's easy no, absolutely not you know I, I've, I've seen some great stuff from electronics companies recently they're all looking at sustainability policies i think I think this sort of debate, raising awareness, putting more pressure on the industry to do something about it is absolutely the right thing. Chris, what do you think? Where would you like it to go from here? I think, yeah, just more focus, really, more more um, discussion, um, more more visibility. Um, you know, more people putting kind of the environment and and sustainability at the front of their offer, I suppose, actually. So more more companies, more integrators and manufacturers talking more about it as a as a USP, something they're doing to make them more unique and 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 and, and let's be honest, position themselves better in the market. Um, I think, you know, the, the the big companies have realized, you know, that that well, so not the big companies, but let's say some of the more forward thinking companies have realized that you know, obviously, it's the right thing to do um, from a from a sustainability point of view, but it's also what the consumer wants as well, and and, and what their customer wants and, and is looking for. So we need to be active in promoting what we do as well. Um, as April said, you know, it, it's um, you know that's how we can really get it to drive the the top line as well, which um, obviously is part of the discussion. And I'm sure everybody watching will want to be an investor in the environment after this or work with you, April. So where should they go for more information and loads of resources to support them in being greener? Um, they can go to our website, which is iie.uk.com, uh, Investors in the Environment. Um, and just to say slightly more about that is um, what we do is we support organizations, regardless of the size, meet you where you are, figure out you know, how, where you are environmentally, and give you some guidance on what you can do to reduce your impact. Um, it's fully supported and then you can work up the levels, got bronze certification, silver and green. Um, so it's, it's about starting, taking that commitment and, and seeing where it takes you. Fantastic, fantastic. Well, look, thanks everybody for joining this, uh, this webinar today. I think it's been some, some great conversation, lots of, lots of practical advice as well in what we can do both for our businesses and, and what we can do for the planet. So thank you, everybody. I'm sure we'll talk about this again in the future. Thanks, Jeff. You, thanks, thank you. Jeff. Thank you. If you enjoyed the show, then please give us a review on Apple Podcasts and follow us on Twitter at IntHomePod, Instagram at IntegratedHomePod and Facebook and LinkedIn at the Integrated Home Podcast. The Integrated Home is brought to you with the support of AWE, Sony and distributed by Meridian. And thanks once again to Cedia and ISE Digital for their support in this episode. We are a Wildwood production. The Integrated Home supports Together for Cinema. Together for Cinema is an AV industry movement that designs and installs cinema rooms in children's hospices across the UK. 
In these special places, children, their families, staff and volunteers are now enjoying fantastic movie experiences together. We want to build more rooms in more hospices for more children. To do that, we need your help. Visit togetherforcinema.co.uk and find out how you can be involved to help make short lives that little bit better.